with all these startups, it never just goes. People think, oh, it didn't exist, now it exists, you sold it, that's amazing. It's not a straight line. It's ups and downs. You don't know if you're gonna make it, then you think you're gonna make it, then you don't know if you're gonna make it, then you make it, you know, it's, with every one of them. Startup is, you know, you need to have a, a, an appetite for risk and you can't be uh, frazzled when, when things don't go as planned because they're never gonna go as planned. That was Mark Laurie. I'm your host, Marnie Gellner, and this is Wolves Plus, presented by Aura. McLaughlin for Towns, and one for Cat with an exclamation point. Russell shows off the handle and the shot. Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Wow, he got his feelings hurt on this one. Oh! Okay, Mark, you're a you're an East Coast guy, born in Staten Island, grew up there, but yep. then when you were 10, you moved to New Jersey. So as a youngster, you had said in an interview I read that you wanted to be a farmer. You loved the idea of growing something from nothing, which I think, you know, looking back, obviously that says a lot about you. What was it about that idea that appealed to you even as a young boy? I mean, this started as early as four years old and, and my uh, grandmother, I remember, you know, we grew up with, with nothing, you know, and, and uh, my parents had me when they were 20 and 19 years old. And uh, so spent a lot of time with my grandmother and she used to, at a very young age, said, hey, do you know what you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a farmer. And she said, no, 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 doctor or lawyer. <laughs> this is starting at like, you know, four or five years old, you know, and I continued on that path. And this happened over and over again where she would always say, no, 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 they don't make any, farmers don't make money, doctor or lawyer. And I'm like, no, Grandma. <laughs> I, wanna, I called a big nan, you know, big nan, no, I want to be a farmer. So it was something you just, I was born with. Like, mm -hmm. I can't explain why I just like the idea of building stuff. I mean, I was into Legos yeah. and, and, you know, just always making stuff mm -hmm. from nothing. And uh, I did every entrepreneurial business you could think of as a kid. Mowing lawns, washing cars, newspapers, baseball cards, recycling, lemonades, <laughs> everything. And uh, but when I uh, graduated um, college, it really there was no such thing as like go to work for a startup. And we didn't have like, yeah, money. Yeah, startup wasn't a thing. Money, like you had to get like a a, a normal job. And uh, I studied finance and you know loved stocks and you know stuff like that. And so went into banking. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, before we get too far ahead, I wanted to, to backtrack about something that um, well, there are a lot of things that, that fascinate me about you. And one of them is just who you are and where you come from. And the fact that your mom was a personal trainer and a bodybuilder. Yeah. I just think that that is so interesting. What was your mom like? So funny. My mom was, you know, stay at home mom. She uh, had us really young, like I said, and mm -hmm. uh, she you know, never really got into sports or anything because she, you know, dropped out of high school young and it just it wasn't a thing back then uh, in Brooklyn where she grew up. And she, uh, one day, just when she was, I think, maybe 34, 35, decided that she would join a gym and, and walk on the treadmill to get in shape. It was time to get in shape. She had three kids. Mm -hmm. I was 15, you know, freshman. She, in... Every day she'd come back and my dad would say, did you, did you run or just walk? And she's like, no, just walk, I can't run. 
And, uh, and then one day, I remember she came home and said, you know, I ran today. I was like, what? You've been walking all this time. You ran. What happened? I thought you couldn't run. And she said, yeah, no, I ran, and I think it was okay. Next thing you know, fast forward a year later, she's like running, you know, 30 miles a week. She started lifting. Wow. And then a year after that, she's like ripped and ready for competition. It was like, it's just, <laughs> so I was like 16 years old. And all of a sudden my like mom, who's never done anything active, is suddenly like ripped bodybuilder. And like, it was just like this funny thing. We'd be going to, you know, bodybuilding contests. You know, my brother was four years younger. So 16, 12 and six, like three kids going mm. watching their mom. mom. And, uh, and she did quite well. <laughs> and, she, and then she did that for a couple of years and then became a, like trainer and trained yeah. Bruce Springsteen's uh, ex-wife. Yeah, know? I read that. <laughs> and like at just... one point she could squat 350 pounds. Oh, And she yeah. weighed like 120. Yes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable strength. That's <laughs> like, yeah. That's crazy. Um, you talked about how you had kind of started up any little kid business, the newspapers, the car washing or whatever. <clears throat> you had started a company called The Mint. Um, you had started reading books on stocks and stock options. Your classmates called you the human calculator. So huh. it's very clear, and even you knew, I would guess, that you had some sort of special gifts. Whether you understood what they were, you knew you had something, right? I think in, in math, yes. Like, I'd never studied. I My parents, I was the first one to go to school, and my parents were convinced by me saying, no, they don't have homework at the school because I never did homework, you know? And I would get bad grades and barely kind of keep my head above water and graduate, you know? So um, so it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't for my academics or grades that made me think that, you know, I was had some some skills in, in, in math, but I, I knew just from being able to do and solve problems like in my head, just, you know, and then mm. learning how to count cards and, and, and great life and sneak, skill. sneak down to Atlantic City. Great skill. Yeah, I would I would recommend if you're not going to study, like learn how to count cards because it's it's very mathematical and it causes your brain to do some good, good iterations. So. Um. In high school, you started the track team? Yes. Like, the track team did not exist? No. And then you were like, we're going to have a track team? Basically, yeah. How many people were on I had this a recruit. Team? I recruited a coach who was uh, my Latin teacher. Okay. Mrs. Taborn, yeah. She was great. She uh, was a marathon runner. And uh, I said, hey, you run. Why don't you be the coach for the new track team? And I convinced her, and she did it. And, yeah, we started. The, the new team. track team that I am starting yeah. today. <laughs> Okay, so then as a senior in high school, 1989, you won a state championship in the 55-meter dash for the track team that you started. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. How many people were on the track team by the time you were a senior? It was a pretty small team. It was <laughs> Still three? Maybe a dozen people, yeah. It was small. So then um, after college, you started working. You were an investment banker. And I heard you tell this story on a podcast <laughs> about how you – uh, found a, a bobsled team that was holding some sort of um, promotional event. Yeah. yeah, but they were trying to just promote, promote it. Yeah. awareness of it. You were in New York City. You saw it. You're in a suit and tie, but you take off your tie. You had some gym shoes with you, and you actually <laughs> went over and tried this. Yes. And this is all accurate, this and it went accurate. pretty well. How? how oh, yeah, they, they were there for the week, and, and they basically were just trying to raise money and awareness for the bobsled team, and 
um, they, they allowed you to put, they had a track and a sled and you'd push it and they'd time you. And they said, you know, to incent people, like the fastest time we'll get invited to Lake Placid, you know, to do some testing and stuff. And so I just remember, like, I forgot about it. I did it. I had a good time. They seemed like they were impressed with the time. And then I got a call like a week or so later saying, hey, just want to let you know, you know, you had the fastest time in New York City. And so we're inviting you up to Lake Placid. If you want to come up, we do you know, a bunch of tests and things, and it'll be fun. I'll come up for the, you know, a few days or something. So I was like, okay. I went up there for a few days. They did all these tests like strength, speed, vertical mm -hmm. jump, all this stuff. And they score you. And if you score over 700, and I had like a 720 or something, then they said, you can stay for the month and we'll train you to push the sled. And then there'll be time trials to see who makes the U.S. national bobsled team. And I had work, and so I called work and said, hey, can I take a <laughs> month off to like train, train. <laughs> to see if, you know, like it was just a very funny thing. And they're like, uh, okay. You know, I was three years into my career at that point, 25 years old. and. Uh, and then uh, they and trained, it, trained right? for the month, and then I wound up, they took 13 spots, 13 fastest times in the trials, made the U.S. national bobsled team, and I finished 13th. So I, I actually could have trained with the team the next two years um, before the Olympics, but I didn't want to quit my job, so I went back. But you made the team. You yeah. Yeah, I made it. Yeah, you made the U.S. national bobsled team, yeah. having never bobsledded before. Yeah, it was, it's all about speed and strength. Anyway, pushing the sled. Obviously, yeah. I couldn't drive it, but yeah. Still, that's, <laughs> that's wild. That's really impressive. Yeah. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the success you've had in the startup companies. And just because we don't have the time, I'm going to kind of lump them together. Just ask you about when you, when you started the pit, Diapers.com and Jet.com, which are obviously massive undertakings and deals and turn out to be these huge investments and returns, even bigger. But by my, by my calcul calculations, that's about a seven-year period of time, just for those three, the pit, Diapers.com, Jet.com, from starting to being sold. And in those seven years, what you sold those companies for were almost $4 billion. Is that seven-year of time frame a complete like things are just moving so fast it's crazy it's thrilling it's exhilarating are you stressed are you anxious like what is that yeah. short period of time like i mean each one was a different story but um the time frame got shorter and shorter like jet was zero to the walmart sale in two years like from start Boom. to finish that was yes exhilarating incredibly stressful um ups and downs with all these startups. It never just goes. People think, oh, it didn't exist. Now it exists. You sold it. That's amazing. It's not a straight line. It's mm -hmm. ups and downs. You don't know if you're going to make it. Then you think you're going to make it. Then you don't know if you're going to make it. Then you make it. You know, it's with every one of them. Startup is, you know, you need to have a, a an appetite for risk and you can't be uh, frazzled when, when things don't go as planned because they're never going to go as planned. So. Yeah. I had read that for diapers.com in particular, you would Google certain words and just look for the number of hits that came up for certain words. And one of the words you end up Googling was diapers and you got something like 200,000 searches for the word diapers. Yeah, that's Is, how we decided to come up with the idea to do diapers.com. Incredible. Um, yeah, it was nobody, it was, it was really strange. Back in early 2000s, nobody was buying diapers online. They were 
Um, obviously something that is a pain to go to the store and get, and you got to do them often, and it's a commodity, you don't need to see it. So it's actually in some ways perfect for the internet. And we couldn't understand why until we started asking, oh, Walmart and Target use it as a loss leader. They lose money on diapers to bring people into the store. So how could you possibly pay for shipping on top of already losing money? And then we flipped it on its head and said, yeah, but there's a reason why it's a loss leader is because it drives parents into the stores. So if we can drive parents to the online website, we could sell them everything they possibly would need for their baby, and the math works. That was kind of the thesis, and it, it played out. But uh, it was very, um, you know, when we, we started selling it, people didn't, Procter & Gamble, the main diaper manufacturer, said they refused to sell us diapers because they thought it wasn't going to work yeah, so for, for years, basically. Yeah, and I read you went to Costco. You bought diapers like yeah, anybody so else, <laughs> but then you moved them to your site, sold them. Yeah. And it all started with a Google search of the word diapers that just sparked something. That was it. It's like, huh, 200,000 times a month, but you can't buy them online. That's interesting. That was yeah, the, and then you just, the pieces start yeah, falling into yeah, place. That was it. Uh, you had mentioned risk a few minutes ago with diapers.com and jet.com. I had read you said there's about a 20% probability of success in those. And that would freak a lot of people out. There are a lot of people who just are not comfortable with risk. Have you always been like that? Are you the kid that would jump off the, the highest boulder and you just, you want to jump out of planes? You love that? Or is it strictly in business? Yeah, it's really funny. Risk? It's strictly in business. Yeah. It's not in, not in life. personal life and in certainly not with safety. It's like, no, I, I don't like, you know, I didn't like roller coasters until very recently. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. You do not have a dream don't of, jump of parachuting. Don't want to jump out of a plane. And, don't yep. want to do that okay. stuff. I'm not, not like a thrill seeker. It's literally yeah. just, uh, it's almost a math. It's, it's, uh, if, you're, if you're not afraid to fail, you know, like that's what it takes. Because if you look at the straight math, 20% chance of, you know, 100x or 1,000x. If you do enough of those, eventually mm. you're going to hit the 1,000x. But people can't and don't want to live through the 80% of the time that sure. things don't work. But if you're just willing to say, oh, that's okay, that didn't work, I'll do it again, that didn't work, I'll do it again, that didn't work, I'll do it again, and you keep going after it with the same intensity and tenacity, that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And you know, I grew up uh, failing at everything because my parents were pretty hands-off, and so learned a lot of lessons the hard way by just failing. Mm -hmm. And when you fail a lot, you know, you start to learn like, oh, okay, I'm not going to dwell on this, you know, just learn, move on, fail, learn, move on. Yeah. And just took that same philosophy to, yeah. to entrepreneurship. I think a lot of people, it's funny, if you're like very successful in school, I wasn't, but if you were and you're getting A's all the time and then you go to a great school and then you get A's all the time, you sort of don't want to ruin that like record of success. It's like, ooh, now you're telling me like I could fail like, and most likely I'm gonna fail. Why don't I just, I've been, everything I've done in my life has been successful. I see a path to doing something that's gonna be successful. It doesn't have as much upside, but it, there's no downside. And a lot of people choose that path. It's and a that's safe perfect, That's perfectly fine. Like, I, I, I respect that. Uh, it's just, I failed along the way, and I've never had any record success. So it was sort of like, 
I had nothing to lose. You're like, you know, Credibility-wise, it only seemed like there was upside. That's and, interesting, though, because a lot of people don't see the failure. When they Google you or search you or successful people, they yeah. see the, the accomplishments. Yeah, I There's know. no wiki page that lists all your failures. That's it. That's, that's, but yet that's where that's you great. It's like social media. <laughs> only the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so we found out last April that you and Alex Rodriguez signed a letter of intent to purchase the Timberwolves and Lynx. And that's where all of this sort of began. What have you already learned in this six month time period or whatever it's been about being an NBA owner? There's gotta be a ton of information. Oh yeah, we're like a, just a sponge, just absorbing everything, listening, asking a lot of questions. Many of them, not smart ones, but sometimes the, the, the questions that aren't smart yield the most learning. Cause sure. you get sort of the, the you know, the, the real answers back. So yeah, we're learning a ton. Um, I think now been here long enough to, to be convinced that a lot of the uh, foundational elements of a successful startup can apply to an organization like the Wolves and Lynx. Um, so I'm excited about that. This idea of like, uh, I call it uh, VCP, vision capital people, this framework of, you know, uh, starting with a really clear vision of what you want to become as an organization 10, 15, 20 years mm -hmm. into the future, putting together a solid strategy of how to get there, what's the organizational structure to support that, um, what is the culture you want to create, what is your mission, what are the values, how are you going to live these values like no other organization to create a culture where people, the best people in the world want to come and, and want to give you the best that they've got. Like putting those foundational elements in place I think would serve us really well going forward. And that's something that I would do in any of my startups. Yep. And so I didn't know if that were the case, and I don't think Alex did either, like how fungible is some of these learnings, you know, uh, across. But I, I think I've been here long enough to, to know that, yeah, I think it, I think it, I think it will translate, sure. which is very exciting because that's something that we've got a history of doing and we know well and it's been refined over time mm -hmm. and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah. I think you know, clarity, clarity of vision and a, and a clear mission and a set of values and it's gonna, and, and a focus on the people, you know, the people element of it. Mm -hmm. um, we're not, you know, Alex or I, we're not like money guys, you know, where we know how to, we're, we're deal makers, we're not that. We're really about you know, building organizations and, and, and building people up, you know, and bringing people together. And that's what'll be, uh, be interesting to see how that plays out. I've seen you at, a lot of, of home games. You've been around, you've been in Minnesota for the most part. You've also been on the road, seen you on road trips. And people ask me all the time, what is it like? What is it like to fly on a team plane? What is it like to be in the buses and just like live this lifestyle? Not nearly as glamorous, I yeah. don't think, as people, people want to believe, but you're doing this for the first time as well, on the inside, just getting on a bus and then the plane and the arenas. Yeah. What have you found about that lifestyle that you didn't realize before the way life in the NBA is? I mean, honestly, it's not that different than I would have, I would have imagined, um, you know, traveling to the city and, and, uh, you know, going to the, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely fast paced. Like you don't know what city you are in or what day of the week it is or that things like that. Yes. Well, for maybe okay, maybe I didn't. Maybe I wasn't thinking that would. If I know that, I literally didn't know if it was like November third or November twelfth. Like I didn't know the day, the week, 
anything because you just like it's all about like the games tomorrow, the games in two days, the game in L.A. Next, the Laker game, mm -hmm. the, this game, and then we're, so you're constantly your brain gets in this thing where it's like when's the next game, where is the next game, and you sort of forget like where you are and like you know and time and space is very very different. So that that is different, but um, it's kind of like what I had hoped and I certainly to get out of it, which was just getting to know the the coaches and the players on a more intimate level, like getting to know them as people. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think just like, you know, an offsite or something in a business, it, it, it's, you sort of, when you're out of your home element, people open up more, there's more time, you could, mm -hmm. you could hang out and just chat yep. about things outside of, you know, what you would if you were like in sort of your, sure. your hometown. Yeah, so that, that, that mm -hmm. has been great. I mean, that was really, uh, I look forward to doing that again. You've, you've shared some videos on your own Instagram account of you working out with a basketball trainer. Like you're dribbling, yeah. you're doing these moves, you're making shots. Why did you want to be able to learn more about actually playing the game yeah, of basketball? Yeah, so what's really funny is I was, I would say, like a big time athlete growing up because I didn't do schoolwork. So I was, I was <laughs> sports and it was, you know, it was track, it was football. Um, I, I, I didn't, there weren't, I don't, basketball wasn't maybe because, you know, I'm height, I'm five foot eight, you know, like there wasn't, basketball wasn't a sport that I, I gravitated to and never played or learned how to play. Um, but I was athletic, can jump, you know, fast and things like it, mm -hmm. it, it made sense that it could have been okay if I really applied myself, but I never did. And after buying the team, and by the way, I was a huge sports fan watching every sure. sport, including basketball as a big Knicks fan growing up you know, knew everything about the game from a fan perspective um, and always had a dream of like one day maybe being involved like this, uh, but a big dream, not like a goal. It was just way out there, like many kids, you know, that, that grow up. Uh, and, and, you know, when it all sort of came together and happened, I realized like now would be a great time to actually learn how to play. And, and uh, I don't know how to do anything like, halfway so like if you're going to learn how to play you go all in on mm -hmm. it and learn so i hired phil phil beckner who is a great play development coach in the nba and i've been doing it you know in the last six weeks i've had i think 25 full-on lessons and plus oh, in between wow. stuff like yeah. i've been like all in on it and uh it's a great way to I, I, you know connect with the players too mm -hmm. like learning the game not only how to how to play uh, so that it could be, you know, at some point get in some, you know, shoot arounds or something like that just for fun. Um, but also just learn the game too, which is good. So when you're watching it, you have a different perspective yeah. when you're getting coached on it. So yeah. So one is just challenge. Never did it as a kid. Great to it now. Keeps you in shape, which is great. But most of all to connect with uh, the players and the team and stuff. You know? how, how is your jump shot? How's it coming along? It's getting better. I would ask it? Phil. I think it's, it's getting better. If you saw it now, you, you might not think it's great, but if you didn't see where it was. <laughs> so, so improvement, improvement is, uh, I, uh, this, people crack up at this, because when I first, the first day, okay, I hadn't you know, done anything, and uh, the coach is like, okay, well, let's see where you are. Let's do 100 free throws. And I made 12 of them out of 100. 12 out of 100. <laughs> and then the coach is like, he said, like, no problem, like, I'll coach you, you know, like, wh whatever. And then after he saw that, 
He's like, man, you really had me thinking. Can, <laughs> can this guy really learn how to play basketball? And then just yesterday, I hit the same 12 free throws, but out of 16 shots. So I was like, just knowing that seven weeks ago to today, yeah. you know, I know I have a long way to go, but it's fun like seeing the progress and knowing that you can, you can get better if you focus and train and put the time in and sure. watch the videos. And I think the videos help a lot, you know, like this is how you do it, that's how you do it, this is how you do it, that's how you do it, so. Yeah, yeah. your percentage is just skyrocketing. <laughs> you, as an idea guy, that's just part of being a, a good entrepreneur, and as a prospective owner of the Timberwolves, I would imagine you have ideas swirling around in your head about the team, the arena, the experience, just like how oh, much yeah. is swirling in your head about, I could do this, we could you do this, we could no do this. You have no idea how many things there's. I mean, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I've, I'm, I've, I've, since I've left Walmart, so you know, I sold Jet to Walmart, you mentioned, yes. but mm -hmm. I was then the CEO of Walmart e-commerce for over four years. And I left uh, about almost a year ago now. And since I left, I've started six companies. Like I, I'm like a, like a startup addict, yeah, you're you know, junkie. just, uh, yeah, I just love to like build things from nothing. And, uh, and so the same thing with the Timberwolves I've got, and so does Alex too. He's similar. Like we, we have all these ideas on how to, how to uh, build stuff from, from scratch in a different way with a different perspective. And, uh, not all of them will sort of make it all the way through the funnel, but top of the funnel now, the number of ideas that are, that are in our heads and that we're discussing is, is you know, incredible. And is some of them will get through and they'll be really exciting. Anything you're willing to share with us? Not, not that it quite happen, yet, but just like, no. like a top of a funnel, like, oh, not, yeah. I want to brace myself because. So we're, so something. we're going through this, you know, I said VCP before vision capital people, I created this framework and there's basically 12 things that you need to get done to build this foundation. Okay. Um, and been working with Ethan and Ryan and Alex and you know, uh, the coaches, Sachin, who are sort of working on this framework. And when we would get it done, the idea is to communicate it to everybody in the organization, communicate it to the fans, the press and things, and to say, hey, we, we've, done, we've done the homework. This is the foundation. This is the strategy. This is the vision. This is what we're going to do. And a lot of those things are being fleshed out now we'll be able to share more about what the plans are but I don't want to do it prematurely okay you're just going to let us know that there are ideas there are things are I'll tell you right now there are things that, that are swirling that we'll do that have never been done in the NBA really yeah innovative for sure like, innovative yes. in the arena something a fan could experience or see or fans yeah. could definitely will experience things they've never experienced in the NBA before I love it I'll tell you that right now I love it <laughs> well, okay, you're just going to give us the, just the tip of the iceberg there. Um, I just want to ask you, because it's, it's fascinating, but it, we do not have the time to get into it because it, it is probably a four-hour conversation at minimum to ask you about Tolosa and about <laughs> this utopia of a city that you have a vision of. And it's not because you want to make money on it. It's not because you want to be the mayor of this city. It's because you want to... Let people experience a better way of life. That is the the basis and the foundation. It comes from a good place. Yeah. But this is an unbelievable idea. This I don't know if people are even ready to hear the idea. We've certainly all read about it by now. What kind of feedback do you get from people when you start talking about this idea of Tolosa? 
Yeah, the feedback's been incredible so far. We've got, I think now since we announced it, 16,000 people have like written in saying, you know, when can they move there? How do they move there? And <laughs> stuff like that. Wow. I mean, like we were really surprised with how many people are, are just interested in it. I mean, um, like you said, it's not a real estate project. It's not some private city. It's not to make money. It is literally, um, you know, we've got a, a, a thesis, you know, on, on how to um, fix capitalism, basically. You know, there's, there's, there's uh, capitalism, we believe, is, is an incredible economic model, but there's uh, a fundamental flaw that we see and that we've got an idea on how to, how to fix um, that'll make, you know, the, the city of Tolosa and, and hopefully learnings come out of that uh, more equitable than mm -hmm. it is today. Um, in a way that both the left and right could agree on. Like, I think that's the problem. The country has become so polarized yeah. and divided, you know, and, uh, and everyone, I think, would agree on, you know, improving the quality of life for everyone. It's, it's how you get there that people are divided on. Um, and so we, we think we found a solution that, you know, both sides would agree yeah. on. And it's basically, I don't know how much, we probably don't have enough time to get into it, but... Well, it's fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And I have heard you talk about it on several podcasts yeah. and it, you've thought so far through the details. It's, yeah. it's really incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you a couple of, of the just kind of random questions. Uh, one is about Gwyneth Paltrow, actress, yeah. entrepreneur. She had called you a mentor and a business coach. She said he is probably the person I reach out to most for specific questions. So you and Gwyneth Paltrow have this working friendship yeah, yeah what does she mostly want to pick your brain about i think just the same kind of stuff entrepreneurship like i've done so many startups now and with each startup you sort of learn lessons that you then apply to the next one you sort of build off it and uh i don't know i, I feel like I've, I've developed in sort of a playbook on on how to build startups and it's funny people always say well if you could say one thing one thing like i should take away that makes the startup successful it's always easy for me it's culture and that's why I said I think it's applicable to, to this organization it's mm -hmm. culture because if you have the right culture then you'll be able to attract the very best people and if you have the best culture you'll get the very best out of those people and at that point like you've got a huge competitive advantage you get the very best people giving you the very best they've got and um, so culture is at the and people, people like nod to it, yeah, 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 culture, but like don't know what it means to mm -hmm. create the type of culture you need and are willing to do the things that are required, you know, to have a set of values that you live by even when there are negative consequences of living them. I think that is usually the part where people fall down. You have a set of values, we're gonna live these values. And it's like, well, I'm not gonna do that because I would lose money, yeah, but you're not living your value then. Well, if I live my value, well, then you're not living your value. Yeah. So values, you know you're living your values when you're faced with tough decisions that had you not had the values, you would have made a different decision. People don't get that part of it. That is yeah. the single most important thing that you can do in any organization is set the culture right and have a set mm -hmm. of values and live them. Because if you start living them, you start building a, a reputation and you, you stand for something and very few companies organizations stand for something you know that really resonates with the individuals um, so mission and values is so important 
And it applies across the board. Across the board. teams. Yeah, across company. the board. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're a dad, too. You have two daughters, young adult. Yeah. What kind of a dad are you? You're the <laughs> discipline. You're the fun guy. You're... I'm definitely not the discipline. I'm more um, the helper. Helper. Helper, pleaser, like uh, just always there for them. Let them sort of make mistakes. Not hovering. I, I made so many mistakes growing up, and I think... I was fortunate to have made all those mistakes because you learn and you learn how to be resilient, how to bounce back and deal with failure. So many parents these days, they know so much, they protect their kids from making any mistakes because they see around corners. I've tried really hard to um, let them make mistakes and just sort of like Mm -hmm. be there and sort of guide. And even though you know, okay, they're heading in a direction that they're gonna probably learn a lesson. Hold tight. It's going to hurt. It's going to, I know. But, but uh, um, and, and also just, I think, being a good role model. Like, that's what you can do for your kids. It's like just, yeah. you know, again, same thing, values. Like, live by a certain set of values. See them live those values and, uh, and hope that it translates. And I'm fortunate my kids are doing, doing really well and as people more, more so yeah. than anything else. And so, and, uh, you know, my, my ex-wife, I think did a great job. She was home with them all the time and, and really was also value values oriented and really instilled the, those values in them as well. So, Well, as, you're, as if you're not interesting enough, I've seen you do some magic. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I've seen you do, you do card tricks. <laughs> I've heard people talk about you being able to send uh, thoughts of a song coming through someone else's phone. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how that works. I have sat with you where you gave me a dice, a die, a single die, and had me roll a number, think of the number, and then you said it. And we did it four or five times with witnesses, and I still have no idea how you did that. What is your fascination with magic? How did it start? What do you like about yeah, it? Yeah, I think uh, that's one of those things since a little kid. Every birthday party or, you know, I always, oh, I want a magician. I want a magician. Didn't always get a magician, but every birthday party, that's what I wanted. I just was fascinated with magic. I think it's something, this idea of creating something from nothing. It's almost like, uh, you know, uh, creating something to believe the vision that doesn't exist. And cre- you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's along the same lines, um, you know, and so... Yeah, I, I just always been fascinated, and I—it's I, really funny. Um, I in, invented like this uh, one particular uh, magic trick that um, is not in the magic circles, and so when I've run into magicians or mentalists, I've done this one trick, mm-hmm. and no one knows how how it's done because it's not in the circles. Because all the magicians and they know every trick Same that's in trick, the system, yeah. and so I've been able to trade each one of these magicians and mentalists my trick for their best trick. And now I've really? got a whole portfolio of amazing tricks um, just from trading. <laughs> so from that's, how, that's how I got there. Do you ever tell people the secret? Because you would not give it up that day. You wouldn't tell us how, how no, you I didn't. No, I didn't give you the one I invented. No, I'll no, no. I'll have to do that no, one for you. No, but in general, just... I mean, that's the secret for oh, a good yeah, magician, no, right? No, you no. don't... You don't tell, no. You don't tell. But, but uh, magician will share with another magician if they think, and so I had this just one, this one trick, and I claimed to be a magician, and I did it for a magician, and I was able to trade, but uh, if they knew that was my only trick, I'm sure <laughs> they wouldn't have traded, but. Um, you just told them it was your best trick. 
Exactly. I said, listen, let me, let me show you my best trick and then see if you, if you can't figure this out, we'll trade, okay? <laughs> yeah. uh, last question about the, the Timberwolves before we wrap things up here is I just wanted to know, Timberwolves and Lynx, for fans who are anxiously awaiting new ownership, just a new direction, something like that, should fans be prepared for big and bold and we've talked about some of the ideas, but just to these franchises, big and bold changes or slow, steady growth? Like what do you envision, yeah, I think let's that, say five in the next five years? I think a combination of the two. I think um, what people could expect is, is a um, very methodical path. So, so like I said before, is like being very transparent with the fans, with the press mm -hmm. of, the foundational work that's done and with each move pointing back to how that move um, is consistent with the strategy and the foundation that was uh, uh, laid out from the beginning so that every move has a place and makes sense and you sort of keep building and building and building and eventually we'll get to we'll get to a great place it won't be the typical sort of knee-jerk reaction, like come in, let go of these people, bring in a new coach, right. bring in a new GM, change this, flip this, change. Like people uh, make all these moves too early in my mind because they don't know who they are, they don't know the culture, they don't know the values. How do you know the kind of person you want to bring into the organization if you don't know what you stand for? You know, if you don't have a vision and you don't have the strategy locked, you could be making decisions that aren't consistent with ultimately when you get a strategy together. So you have to do all that hard work up front mm -hmm. and that hard work it could take six to 12 months to build a foundation so that you know and everybody knows exactly what the plan is, exactly what the culture is going to be, what you stand for, what you're going to do and not do, that kind of thing, and, and set an org structure before you even think about people. And you have all that set. And then once you have the org structure set, then you start putting the right people in the right, in the right spots and yeah. sort of building, building. So it, it's not, you're not going to see moves that people scratch their head that's not going to happen and you're not okay. going to see mm -hmm. uh uh you know a lot of uh one-way door stuff you know in and then out another you know, it's it's going to be very just like moving the yeah, chains moving the chains moving the chains yep. but there will be some bold moves in there but it'll all be consistent and it'll all make sense and hang together i think that's the key yeah it's, it takes time it takes time it takes yeah time. okay we'd like to end on the final five Five random questions just to okay. get a little of, of, of your personality. First question, how do you take your coffee? I don't drink coffee. Never even had a sip of it. Never even had a sip? Ever. Of any kind of drink? Ever. Never had a sip of coffee ever. Because my grandma, Big Nan, used to drink this Folgers thing that I thought was so Oof. disgusting and smelled so bad. And she tried to make me sip it when I was like four years old. And I was so disgusted that I just, even the smell of coffee just... Even the smell. Yeah. I mean, now, okay. what, to be honest, some of these coffees, not the Folgers kind, <laughs> do smell good, but I'm, I'm so mentally like right. off coffee, and it's been 50 years now that I'm not going to go there. Do you have a drink? Do you have an energy? Or iced tea. tea or iced tea. Green tea. Iced tea. Green tea. Unsweetened. Unsweetened green Unsweetened, tea. Sweetened green tea. Honest, Hot, honest green tea. Honest green tea. Bottle. In the bottle. Yep. Yep. That's my go to okay. every day. Okay. What emoji do you use the most? Emoji, I think straight up smiley face. I do that, put that in emails, texts all the time, yeah. Straight up smiley. Straight up smiley face. 
Other than basketball, what is your favorite sport to watch on TV? I'm assuming basketball it is now. Basketball for sure, yeah. Um, what else would you find yourself watching? Uh, I'd say yeah, baseball and football. The um, basics. The Olympics, yeah. I would say definitely track and field because that was my best. And, but uh, yeah, the basics. Paying special attention to the 100-meter dash maybe? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are you a morning person or are you a night owl? Uh, definitely not a morning person. Definitely night. Yeah. I, I, people always say, oh, you must not sleep. You're doing all these things. No. If I don't get eight hours sleep, I'm a mess. Like eight hours every night. And because I go to bed late, like 1230 or something like that, I'm not getting up before 830. Oh, sure. Yeah. So. And then you can just go all day. Yeah, no, no, no. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. That's if you, you get, get really good yeah. sleep mm -hmm. and you eat healthy and you exercise, you you have if you sleep eight hours you still have 16 hours left in the day that's a lot of time if you're gonna you know a little time to eat and other stuff yeah. but i mean it's you have a lot of hours to do some damage it's <laughs> to do some damage <laughs> final question uh, what do you do to keep yourself entertained on a flight when you're flying commercial private whatever on a flight um i'm always just doing startup stuff it's work. For yeah, you. it's work, but I don't even call it work. It's just fun. Like, like doing this whole VCP framework, vision capital people, like working with, uh, like on this plane with Sachin and Ethan and Ryan and going through all the, the, the iterations of that. That's fun for me. Like those kinds of things, like building the foundational, uh, pieces of a startup, um, either thinking about the vision, how to raise capital, you know, how to get the right people. people. Yeah. Like just thinking through that stuff. So, I spent, I don't read any books. Like I, you don't read. No, I don't, I don't read. I, don't, I know it sounds funny, but, uh, I just find anytime I, I like, I'm not against reading. I don't have anything against it. I will, somebody says, this is a great book. I'll pick up the book and start reading and three or four pages in my brain starts thinking mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, 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 and then I never get Can't back remember. to the book. Yeah. And I think like, it'll take 20 hours to read this book. I can spend those 20 hours thinking and wow, I can think about and get so much done and invent things and think about things and think about Tolosa and the future of the world and all this stuff. Or I can read this one book, which is somebody's <laughs> opinion about something typically that's yeah. very narrow. And I can never make that trade. I never, I can never trade. And so I, I just never, I could never do it. I get it. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look yeah. at it. <laughs> Yeah, so, I'm not much of a reader myself, but I've never. So what I like to say is, is re reading <laughs> takes time away from thinking. Reading takes time away from thinking. Yeah, and all my invention and innovation comes from thinking. So I don't know. I can't do it. Well, who's going to argue Same thing with, with TV. Same thing with TV. <laughs> it's hard to. It's hard for me to watch TV as yeah, well. You're not a. You're not a Netflix watcher, a show watcher. You're not a binger. It's no. It's hard. I'll do it sometimes, but. What's it's, the last show you actually watched? Uh. Last show. Wait, uh, Ted Lasso. Okay. Yeah, Ted Lasso. So somewhat recent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'll definitely watch it TV, but it's just not. Certainly, if I was alone, I would never watch it. Like you know, I would, it would be more of a, you know, something to do with someone else. It's not. It's not something I would never just like be home and just say, oh, just I'm going to turn on the TV because then again, I might as well just think. Yeah, so. Yeah, Get your just, thinking time. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark, you are uh, an entertaining person. You're you're a lot more personable, I think, than people realize. Because yeah. a lot of times, the really smart people aren't as people. People, <laughs> you are. You're a fascinating person to get to know, and I think Timberwolves and Lynx fans are 
are really happy to have you here, and we, uh, we can't wait to see what you have in store. Thanks, Marnie. It's great to Thank be you. here. Thanks. Wolves Plus, presented by Aura.